This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. Let's look at, to the book of Acts. I want to, if you would turn with me to the book of Acts, and we're going to begin reading. This is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, it's a special day for me. I actually wrote a book about Pentecost, and so uh, it's something that's very important in my life. And I want to uh, begin reading in chapter number 2. And we're going to look at a few verses there, and, and then I'm going to let you, we're going to pray, and I'm going to let you be seated. Let's look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Now, what is Pentecost Sunday? The day of Pentecost came in the first century, uh, seven weeks uh, and a day, 50 days. That's what the word penta means, is 50. And uh, it came seven weeks and a day after Passover. So, essentially, after the cross, it was 50 days. We know that Jesus was buried and he was in the tomb for three days and then he rose. I'm going to glad he rose from the dead. Amen. He rose from the dead three days later. He then spent uh, 40 days with his disciples in what I call in the book a seminar in Galilee. The scripture says he opened to them the scriptures and explained to them how the law and the prophets spoke of and the Psalms spoke of him. They didn't get it. How many, that's kind of, that's encouraging to me. The fact that these men who had sat at the feet of Jesus for three and a half years saw him crucified and now saw him in his resurrected body still didn't get it. That's encouraging to me because I've been in that situation myself a few times. So he had to explain it. As we'd say in Arkansas, he had to explain it all to them again. And he explained how the law and the prophet Psalm spoke of him. He sent them back and said, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. It was 10 days later on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was poured out. And I want to talk with you a little bit about that. They did not go back to, to Jerusalem and pray it down. They didn't go up, they go back to Jerusalem and hold themselves up in the upper room and not leave the upper room until it came and convinced God because of their uh, righteous works or their consecration or sacrifice to pour it out. That's not what happened. It was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. He just didn't want them to miss it. And they didn't. So we'll talk about that. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. This initial outpouring on the day of Pentecost caused the people to speak in earthly languages that they did not know. That was the miracle of it. And it was a witness of the resurrection of Jesus and the glory and the wonderful works of God that they heard each one speaking these matters in their own language. Verse 7, they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then he gives us a list of those who were present. Really represented most of the known world at the time. From Rome all the way to Asia and just every uh, part in, in between. Then in uh, verse number 32, I'm going to edit this for the sake of time. Look at verse number 32. Peter stands to preach 
after people have seen this, and this is part of his message, verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore being, and this, if you have a highlighter, you might want to highlight some of this. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Being exalted. We have to understand Jesus the man. He was always God, always God, but he was also fully man. There's some things that he did as man. One of the things he did is he received as a covenant man the inheritance of the Father. Though it was his from the beginning, there was no argument about that in his godness. Yet as a man, he had to receive the kingdom of his Father. And Peter makes that clear. Having, as a man, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David had prophesied, or, uh, for David said, did not ascend to the heavens, but said himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Okay, you can close your Bible. Father, we thank you for the unction of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the anointing that's in this room. I thank you for this great church and this beautiful congregation of people. And I ask God in these moments that we share that you would just open our eyes, Holy Spirit, so that we can see. Help us to see and understand. Lord, we thank you that the word is going to be sown in our hearts and we will be forever changed by it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. High five two people and tell them, get ready for the word of the Lord. In Luke chapter 4, a famous thing happens. Jesus, after he has been baptized by John the Baptist, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and rested upon him. And a voice echoed from heaven, from the voice of the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's interesting to me that the next thing that happens is the scripture says that Jesus is driven. In the Greek, the idea is that Jesus is pushed into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Anybody ever been tempted of the devil in the room? Well, there's about 40 honest Christians in the room. How about the rest? Haven't we all been tempted by the devil? But, you know, it's interesting because it, ap it appears that this is kind of a setup, that the Holy Spirit was orchestrating what was going to happen because it was important that Jesus and the devil know. Now, Jesus knows everything, right? He's God in the flesh. But the devil's not omnipotent, and the devil's not omniscient. The devil's simply an angel that blew it. I'm not suggesting he's not a spiritual being, certainly, but I am saying that he does not possess divine qualities. Those are exclusively God's. So the devil don't know everything. The fact is, a lot of times the devil only knows what we tell him. So if you've ever wondered why God doesn't tell you everything he's going to do in your life, Sometimes he don't tell you because you don't know, but the devil don't know either. And he knows if he told you, you'd tell the devil. And he may have a surprise ready for the devil. 
And so I don't think the devil understood what was going to happen, but the Holy Spirit did. And, and Jesus was pushed into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil so he would be demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And the fact is, Jesus was really demonstrating as a man the kind of spirit-filled life that we should all be living. The Lord doesn't want you to be always victimized by the devil. He wants you to have and share and be part of the victory that was won at Calvary. Can I get an amen for that? And so we see that Jesus was baptized. Well, I ought to be baptized. That's part of my obedience to the command of the Lord. And, and we see that Jesus received the power of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove after his baptism, and that's cool. And then part of the process, wouldn't it be neat if the temptation part wasn't part of the process? That'd be cool. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we never had to mess with the devil? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if you never had a, 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 a problem you had to believe your way out of? It'd be nice, wouldn't it? But that's not how life is. So Jesus, like us, was in every way tempted and tried, yet he never sinned. He goes into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And then it's interesting, the Bible says after he's gotten the victory that he is then led or he moves out of the wilderness and back to his home area in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are thinking, what does that have to do with the day of Pentecost? Well, I believe it has a lot to do with the day of Pentecost because being Pentecostal my, all my life, I've been raised and reared in Pentecostalism, and I know some of you have, and maybe some of you are new to it or you haven't been. But one of the things that we focus on a lot is the power. And if we're not focusing on power, a lot of times we're focusing on tongues. And we'll say, did you get it? And, you know, people who hadn't been raised in Pentecostal circles, and not they're thinking it's like a virus. I don't know that I want it. How you get it? Did I catch it? And we've majored on minor things so often that we often miss the real majesty and the import and the importance and the power of what was really going on. Let me tell you what was going on on the day of Pentecost. When we celebrate Pentecost, certainly we're celebrating the birth of the church, and it was that. But it was also the day that the great commission that Jesus had, been, had given to his disciples was initiated. And the good news, no, the great news is that at the cross, God had forgiven all sins. Now, I may say something throughout the course of this message that you're going to have to think about just a little bit, and I, that's kind of my job, but if I say anything that's outside the realm of what your pastor teaches, then you just pray for me and forgive me, and whatever he says is what goes. Can I get an amen for that? So I'm not trying to establish any new theology here or anything like that, but I am going to try to communicate some ideas of what's going on behind the scenes, uh, a little deeper look at the story than just 120 people getting the Holy Ghost. It was more than that because as we read the scripture and look at what Peter says, it seems like much more is happening there. Sure, the Great Commission is being initiated, and yes, the church is being born. But the good news is that at the cross, the work of the cross and the blood was so complete that every sin that had ever been committed in history, every sin that was being committed even by the murderers who killed Jesus, and every sin that would ever be committed in the annals of future, humanity were all being forgiven by God because of the blood of Jesus. I'm not telling you everybody has had their sins forgiven. I'm telling you God's forgiven them and they could. 
Now look, look at your neighbor and say, stay with the preacher for a minute and let me lay this foundation, okay? So here's, here's the idea. Good news, not this great news, is that all sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. How many believe today that the blood of Jesus was enough for every sin ever committed in all of history? Aren't you glad we don't serve a Savior who got a few but missed a few? Aren't you glad we don't serve a Savior that said, I'm going to get this time frame, this group of people in this years, but no, it's not enough. No, the blood of Jesus was enough for everybody that ever lived, will ever live, is living today on the earth, ever will be, ever sinner. Hey, it's not just the sins are forgiven, that all sinners have been pardoned. That's the good news. Nobody has to go to hell. How many believe that's good news? Now, I'm not suggesting to you that there won't be people in hell, but I'm saying they don't have to go to hell. The Scripture says it's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. The other things that we see happening was the fact that Jesus Christ as a man received the kingdom of His Father. He received the kingdom of His Father as a covenant son. Essentially, what I believe happens is all of the scrutiny that was necessary to examine the blood of Jesus, the life of Jesus, everything was done, and now that blood had been certified as being sanctified, completely holy. It had been applied to the mercy seat. All of the sins of the universe has been now paid for. The debt has been paid. All of the sinners have been pardoned, and then the church is given the job of taking the good news to the world that nobody has to go to hell, that everybody can be forgiven that everybody can be saved. I tell you what, that's good news right there. I'm just going to pause, let it sink in on you a minute, and then when you realize that you don't have to go to hell and all your sins that you've ever committed will ever commit, everything that every bad thing you've ever done, all the weaknesses in your life was all paid for at the cross, and you can be innocent of it, that's a place to put your hands together and say amen to that. Amen, Brother Brassfield, to that. Amen. Pentecost is not just about power, it's about a new position. Pentecost is not just about the gifts of the Spirit, it's about being something brand new in Christ, the church being born, the great commission being initiated, all sins have been forgiven, the pardon has been decreed from heaven, the throne of God's judgment has now been shifted to a throne of grace. So let me meander through this just a little further. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, Jesus as a man, God always, yes, but the Son of Man inherited the kingdom of his Father. That kingdom was supported and sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the medium of the Holy Spirit? Well, the medium of the Holy Spirit is favor. So what I want to do for a moment is I want to pull, I'm a Pentecostal, but I'm going to pull your eyes off of tongues. I'm going to pull your eyes off of power. And for a few moments, I want to bring your eyes to the favor of God, to the favor of God. The Holy Spirit operates in a medium of favor. 
Because what happened when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, everything shifted from works, trying to earn it and do it yourself and, and, and follow the Ten Commandments, make sure you didn't violate any of the customs, any of the traditions. Everything shifted from that to suddenly being focused on the favor of God. And what I'd like to talk to you for a couple of moments this morning about is favor for life. Somebody say favor for life. Now, we've probably all watched programs where you win something and you get it for life. Some of that stuff, I'm not sure I want it for life. Now, if it involves a lot of money, I wouldn't mind having that for life. Can I get an amen for that? But it's like, you know, a lifetime supply of dog food. It's like, I don't, I'm not sure I want a lifetime supply of dog. Where do you store it? You know, lifetime supply. But did you know when Jesus paid the price on Calvary for you, you now became entitled to a lifetime of favor. And when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, there is a release, a special empowerment of favor that becomes the driving force, becomes the power of God in your life, and everything that you do or that God does through you is a product of his favor. We call it grace. Grace. Everybody say grace. Favor. Favor is, is, is to one, it's, it's all kinds of different things. There's, there's different ideas about it in terms of what it means. But for all of us, it is embodied in a word called grace. I'm thankful today for the grace of God. Hallelujah. The grace of God that provided me what I could not provide for myself. The grace of God that spared me what I did deserve and gave me what Jesus earned at the cross. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the grace of God today. Amen. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you don't just get power. You don't just get gifts. You get unmerited favor, favor for life. Favor is one of the principal attributes of the kingdom of God. And we often talk about the power of the kingdom. We talk about the gifts of the kingdom. But we don't realize that all of that stuff operates in the stream of God's favor. Favor. And to us, a lot of times we think about favors like, hey, man, can you do me a favor? Or, or we think about doing a good deed for someone. But the truth is the kingdom favor I'm talking about is much more than that. It's not just getting a good deed done for you. There has been a shift where God's already made up his mind about you. How many, it settled, when you settle, it settles in on you that God is not still wondering about you or trying to make up his mind. God has already made up his mind about you and he's already decided to love you. He's already decided to forgive you. He's already decided not to hold against you your weaknesses because of what Jesus did on the cross. Not because you deserve it, because we don't deserve it, but it's because of the, the fact that Jesus deserves it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> to some favors protection, to some provision, some it's mercy, and we could all put a label on it, but the fact is mercy becoming favor becomes whatever you need when you need it. Kind of like manna in the Old Testament. Manna literally means what you call it. it it's, they weren't sure what to call it, but it was whatever they needed. I believe it tastes like whatever people wanted it to taste like. Maybe that's a little bit of a dramatic expansion there, but I, I just think God's favor. How many are thankful for favor that becomes whatever you need to be, for whatever you need it for at the moment? If you need marriage help, then God's favor becomes enough to put your marriage back together. You need healing for your body, God's favor becomes healing. If you need joy, his favor becomes your joy. Whatever you need it to be, it becomes when you need it. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, we are really receiving the unmerited favor of God in a, in a proportion that we've never known before. Hallelujah. Amen. 
For some, it's rain in a drought. Favor. The psalmist said in Psalm 68, verse 9, But thou, O Lord, did send a plentiful rain whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. Favor. For some of us, it's sunshine on a cloudy day. I got sunshine on a cloudy day. When it's cold outside, I got the month of May. Uh, Y'all all been on the church pew y'all's whole life? Y'all never heard of Motown? Come on, somebody. I was raised Pentecostal. We'd do the church music, you know, and then after church, we'd be listening to Motown. And Yeah. I guess you say, make me feel that way, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they wrote a lot of, Motown wrote a lot of songs about favor. I mean, there's another one that comes to mind. Can I get a little help? Favor. Favor when you hold me tight, you give me favor. No, it's not fever, it's favor. Mm -mm. <laughs> Y'all got to work with me a little bit here. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to hurt you. I mean, this is this favor. How many ever needed favor in the middle of the night? Whatever you need when you need it. When you get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, we talk about the gifts. Prophecies, wonderful tongues are great. But let me tell you what you get. You get favor straight from heaven. And it's not favor that you earned. It's favor that Jesus earned. And when Jesus earned it, that means it can't be taken away because you're not perfect and you don't deserve it. You're never going to deserve the favor of God. But you know what? When Jesus lived like, like, uh, like Jesus lived, when Jesus lived a sinless life, he earned the favor of God as a covenant man. And when he earned the favor of God. He now then received the kingdom of God, the inheritance of God on the day of Pentecost. And the party that broke out in heaven was so massive that it spilled out into earth and all that were gathered at the temple were filled with the Holy Spirit who were believers. And when the scripture speaks of favor, when the Bible talks about favor, it's really more of a disposition The ancients would say it this way, speaking of a powerful king, if I have found favor in your sight, because they knew that when the king looked on them with favor, he would withhold nothing he could provide for them when they needed it. The favorable gaze of the king. The scripture says that Noah found grace or favor in the sight of the Lord. Now, if you're taking a note or if you have a little pen, I'd like to give you three words for grace. Now, you understand the words are in the New Testament, the first word is charis, charis, charis. It's, it's the word translated most often in the New Testament as grace. That word means unmerited favor, unmerited favor. How many thankful today for God's unmerited favor? It's what I've been talking about for the last few minutes, the unmerited favor of God. Not favor that you worked for. It's not favor because you were good at something. Not favor because you deserved it, but it was unmerited because it was earned by somebody else. 
a number of years ago, I was invited to speak at a charismatic, a very ultra charismatic conference out on the East Coast. And these folks were name it and claim it folks. We all heard of that and, and blab it and grab it, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I, but hey, and I'm going to preach. I'm right at home there because I believe in faith. Anybody believe in faith? Amen. I believe in the power of God working through faith. And so, so I'm going and I'm, and I'm praying about the message that I'm going to preach for them. And so I'm going to be preaching on the work of Jesus Christ at the cross and how it was totally complete, but he did it as a man. That he lived as a man, he, he, he operated as a man on earth, and then he died as a man. So I'm going to be explaining that to them. And so I'm thinking, Lord, I need a title. What, I need a, something to share with them that will help. So the idea that the Lord gave me says, okay, title it this. Salvation is by works and you're not blessed. At a charismatic conference. Well, it was about as quiet there as it is here for the, the first few moments until I began to explain to them that God had to have works of righteousness, that salvation had to be earned. Somebody had to earn it. Because God is merciful. How many believe God's merciful? How many believe God's gracious? But how many believe He's also just and holy? that he must at the same time be just while he, while he can be merciful and gracious. And the two cannot come in conflict. If you came to my house and stole my television, I could forgive you for stealing my TV, but it ain't right till you get me another. And if you're going to do it, I'd like a 60-inch flat screen, please. And, and get up off the little, you know, go up a price just a little bit. I want one of them good ones, you know what I'm saying? But that, that's how you make it right. Something has to be done to make it right. When man sinned and fell from the glory of God, God could have said, well, I'll just forgive you. But the problem is, is his grace would have come in conflict with his justice. So it couldn't be that way. Somebody had to do something to fix it. Somebody had to do something to make it right. Either you were going to have to do it yourself or there was going to have to be another man like Adam who would come and do what had to be done to make it right. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what Jesus Christ did. That's why God became a man. It's because it was necessary. As sin and death entered through one man, righteousness and life had to enter through another one. Salvation is by works, just not yours. It is by works, just not yours. Jesus has already done all the works. He's already earned your salvation. He's already earned your forgiveness. He's already earned the favor of God in your life. God's not good to you because you're good. God's good to you because Jesus is good. Hallelujah. Amen. And by saying this, they say, well, that's the works part, but what about the blessing part? Well, you see, if God blessed me in my sins, he wouldn't be just and holy. He might be good, and he is, but he wouldn't be holy. Because the life that I've lived and the person that I've been, the imperfections in my life, anybody who did good to me like the Bible teaches us that God wants to do wouldn't be holy. He might be kind and gracious. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus, the covenant man, certified being sinless, his blood being completely bona fide and certified, passing all the inspections of holiness and righteousness, having now been applied to the mercy seat. 
Peter stands and preaches and says, see all this that's going on? See all that's happening? These people who are giving glory to God and speaking in languages that they don't know, you need to understand that this is a response to what's going on in heaven. What's going on in heaven is Jesus, the covenant man, has now inherited the kingdom of his father. He has in, And the first installment of that kingdom was the glory of the Holy Spirit. And he says, having been justified and set up and glorified to the right hand of the majesty on high and having received the promise from his father of the Holy Spirit, he has now poured out this which you see and hear. He goes on to say that by all your witnessing, God has certified that Jesus is both Christ and Lord of all. How many are glad that Jesus, the covenant man, is Lord of all? Hallelujah. Of heaven and earth and all time, press, present, press, past, present, and future, he is Lord of all. Do you understand then in the light of what I'm saying that every time the devil hears someone give a prophetic word or every time the devil hears you starting to pray in your prayer language, it reminds him that Jesus Christ is still on the throne and he's still Lord of all. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody with me. It's about Jesus. Amen. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit, the glory of the Holy Spirit is the fact that the favor of God was poured out. Jesus received it and then he shared it. And now you are entitled to walk in it. So there's three things I want to cl close with today about this that I want you to take away. Number one, what is the favor of God? What, what is so wonderful about the favor of God? Number one, it's unmerited. Somebody say it's unmerited. But you see, I've become entitled to it because of Jesus. I've become entitled to it because he earned it. Number two, grace is more than a favor, it's a force. Because these three words that I was going to mention to you about grace, the first is unmerited favor, but the second one is charisma. Charisma. This is the power of grace. Charis is unmerited favor. Charisma is the power of grace. And then there's a third word, charismata. It's the fruit or the expressions of the Spirit, but it's all flowing in a stream of favor. It's all, all these are favor words. All these are favor words. God's favor is unmerited. His grace is more than just a good deed. It's a power. And number three, that favor that God gives you will enable you to do things you couldn't do on your own. Gives you boldness, gives you courage, produces fruit in your life. At the cross, the blood of Jesus satisfied the justice of God once and for all. Would you stand with me? Stand with me all over the room. The blood of Jesus satisfied the justice of God once and for all. The throne of judgment has been shifted to a throne of grace. God is now predisposed to show favor on you. I don't know, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's happening. But I know people. I know in this audience there are probably those who've struggled with broken hearts. I know in this audience there are probably those who have had something go on. Maybe you've lost your job or there's been some sort of financial calamity. Some of you may have been touched by something that was tragic that's unexpected. Some of you, as I've talked about favor, it's so, it seems like such a far-removed concept in your mind that it's been difficult to even wrap your mind around what I'm talking about with favor. But I think a lot of us know 
that whatever's going in our life, we need the favor of God. If I have found favor in your sight. You see, the day of Pentecost was all about God sharing favor with normal people like you and me. The day of Pentecost, yeah, they spoke in tongues. They received power. But it was all flowing in a stream of favor. Dustin, whatever you do in life, whatever God has for you, you know how it's going to be accomplished? The favor of God, because the favor of God's on you. You know why this church is so blessed? I mean, it's awesome to have bishops like you've had and pastors like you have and, and the music, the, the singers, the musicians. That's awesome. But you know the thing that will make the difference when people walk through that, those doors back there that are broken? It's a place that dispenses heavy doses of the favor of God. It's favor, favor, favor. And it's not favor like something we have to dig for and scrape and try to figure out, and it's a formula we got to get right. No, it's not that. We have to understand that everything that is required for you to qualify happened at Calvary. And everything that needed to be done, every deficit in your life that caused you to be disqualified was made right in the person of Jesus on the cross. And when he came out of that grave victorious because death couldn't hold him because there was no sin in him, when he came out of the grave alive and was exalted to heaven and applied his blood, he told Mary, he said, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to my father. There was yet work to be done. But when that work was all finished and his eternal blood, the writer of Hebrews says, was applied as a sacrifice once forever. All that had shadowed, all that had been expressions, all that was looking toward, everything that was talking, telling a story about what was coming was all boiled into one moment at Calvary. And when it happened, Jesus hung his head and said, it is finished. Thank you, Lord. It's finished. Some of you need to hear that word from the Lord today. And something you're going through, it is finished. The favor of God is stepping into that situation right now. The favor of God. That travail, that struggle, that, that agony, that, that confusion, that, that uncertainty, that not knowing what's going to happen. I'm telling you today that it's finished at Calvary and God is stepping into that situation. When they said, if, you have, if I found favor in your sight, like we would say to an ancient king, God is looking into your situation with favor right now. He's looking into your situation, your circumstances, and some of you, your life is going to be changed. Some of the situations you've struggled with, you're not going home to those situations. They're not going to be the same because today as I've staggered and stumbled through this message, you've heard enough of it to get the idea that you are under the favor of God, that you have a right to claim the favor of God, that favor was the inheritance of Jesus, and that's been shared with you. Hallelujah. Favor. You might have been abused as a child. You might have been broken through circumstances. But it doesn't matter who you used to be because that's not who you are anymore. In Christ, you receive the favor of God and you are brand new. If any man be in Christ, old things have passed away. The old things that are passed away is not what you used to do. It's who you used to be. Yes. Amen. And now you have become a bona fide heir 
to the favor of God. I don't care what people say about you. I don't care what the opinions of men. I don't care what you've thought about yourself. I'm saying in Christ Jesus, you can let all that stuff go and realize that favor is on your life. You can pray for it and expect it on your children, on your home, on your finance, in every part of your life, on the job, because it's favor for life. Favor for life. And with it comes unstoppable power, unexplainable love, and unspeakable joy. And that's your inheritance as a believer. That's your birthright as a believer. I want you just to slip your hands. If you're comfortable doing that all over this room, I'd like you to slip your hands up, and I'm going to pray for you right now. And I want you to receive in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ the the glory, the the power, the majesty, the the eternal one, the resurrected Savior, the, the, the Lord of heaven and earth, Christ and Lord. I want you to receive now the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you receive it, I want you to understand that with it comes favor that's unstoppable, favor that cannot be explained joy that is unspeakable it's all yours by inheritance it doesn't matter what's happened in your life don't drag that baggage into your new reality you have the favor of God that means it's not Murphy's law when you expect things to go wrong no no you expect the spirit's law of favor that whatever can go right in your life will at the very best possible moment I decree it to be so in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as this congregation stands before you, Lord, we receive a fresh touch and a fresh impartation of your favor, favor that is coming from heaven, favor that cannot be stopped. Favor that I didn't earn, so it's favor that can't be taken away. The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. So therefore, Lord, since you've changed your throne from judgment in my life to favor, I've got to change my heart from judging myself to one of expecting the favor of God and receiving the gift of your blood. And so I pray over everyone in this room that they're the hardest ones on themselves, Lord. They struggle, God, and they're their own worst critic and their own worst enemy. Lord, you've stopped that in their life because of Calvary. And I ask right now that by your spirit you would shift the dial, Lord, that you would turn the switch in their life, that no longer will they be saying bad things in their own head about themselves, but, Lord, they will believe in faith and receive the gift of what you have done. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God's spirit will give them the strength and the courage and the anointing to say, that's not who I am. That is a lie from hell. I am the head and not the tail. I'm on top and not underneath. He's made me to be the lender and not the borrower. I will... Lord, as surely as the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, I'm asking for the favor of God to fall on this congregation right now. Lord, as they go out of this room, I pray that they will walk in the favor of God in all that they do. In Jesus' mighty name, let's sing, amen. We sing hallelujah, we sing hallelujah, I would like our prayer partners to come quickly this morning. There's kind of been a shift in this room. And as a pastor, I, I, I can't live with myself without giving you an opportunity to reach. So I know we've gone long today. But here's where we are. There's been a shift, and the Holy Spirit wants to minister. So as the Nora leads us here, I know some of you just you, you need to be leaving, and I understand. But for some, 
there's a moment that you're about to have. When this service is over, I would like to welcome you to our growth track. It's going to be starting today. If you're here today, I see some of you already kind of stirring, so I need to get this out here right now. That If you want to join us for lunch, that's going to happen here after this. But right now, it's kind of a critical moment for someone. So I believe in, I, I believe in responding. This altar is open for whoever you are that has a little heaviness in your heart and that you're just looking for a breakthrough in God's grace. I'm not sure who you are that's here, but I'm taking this time for you. That's how much I love you. So in the name of the Lord, this altar's open. Why don't we reach for him today? We sing hallelujah. Come this morning. We sing hallelujah. God bless you as you're coming. We sing hallelujah. This altar's here for you today. We sing hallelujah. God bless you for coming. God, God knows right where you are. Lord bless you. Lord bless you, sir. Lord bless you, ma'am. I just dedicate this time to you that you just know that you know that you need a release in the Holy Spirit's presence. All right, everybody, let's lift our voices. We sing. This altar's open today. Why don't you not wait another second and come? Come. We sing hallelujah. Come. Let the Lord bless you and touch you with grace. 